This is Efficiency On Demand. On Demand. High Performance. Leadership. People think overwhelm, craziness, craziness. No time. No time. No fun. No fun. Just work, 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 work. It's time to slow down, to speed up. You owe more to yourself. This is Efficiency on Demand with Monique. Monique is a high-performance and leadership specialist. During the show, Monique and her guests will share the harsh truth behind their success stories, what it means to perform on a high level, and to be a leader in this world. It's time to take control of your time and live life limitless. This is Efficiency on Demand, and this is your host, Monique. Welcome back to another episode of Efficiency On Demand. Um, today I want to like to start the episode with a little bit something different because I've actually, and we're like 40 something episodes in, I never asked you to leave me a review and subscribe and I think it's time. It's time for me to ask you to subscribe to this amazing podcast because all of our entrepreneurs and business owners who come on here, they literally leave their heart and their soul on this podcast. And also they kind of have to go through a lot of chit-chatting with me before. <laughs> so many of them spend a lot of time with me and I really, really appreciate that. So the best thing that you can do for them and to show your appreciation is to go to your favorite podcast app, iTunes, and leave a five-star rating and a review that says how much you love that particular episode. And maybe I'm going to start reading them out or something like that. And then I just made this up in this very minute. I leave it at that and want to welcome my guest. I love what he's doing. He's a friend of mine now. We met whenever, a year ago, maybe, online, something like that. And I've been on his, uh, it's his podcast, Facebook Live show, and I gave a training. Well, it, yeah, it was like interview slash training on basically how to use your time wisely because apparently I know that. So, and I'm super excited to have him on the show today. So I want to welcome Frederick Douglas Bussey. Bussey? Oh, now I mixed. No, I didn't mess it up. Whee! <laughs> welcome to the show and thank you for having time. <laughs> thank you, Monique. I'm glad to be here. No, you got it right. You got it right. You did a great job. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's a, oh my God. This, I think I should cut these bloopers together for the hundreds episode or whatever how I practice the names up front before the recording and then because I do record before the recording because I used to forget mm -hmm. that and then how I actually say those names and if I <laughs> if I do mess up or not I think many names I just try to pronounce in a very German way somehow so that is pretty funny at times well, but now that we're here, finally, tell us a little bit about just who you are, what you do, where are you from? All of that. Well, I am Frederick Douglass Bussey, as you said. You said it much. I, I like how you said my name better. But I am, a, <laughs> I am a serial entrepreneur, author, speaker, business and leadership coach. And I help entrepreneurs and leaders to 
realize the untapped potential they have to create the life that they deserve. So I specifically work with six-figure entrepreneurs, helping them to go to seven figures. Uh, I've helped startups and other business owners to launch their companies and uh, build their brands. And that's what I love to do. I love to talk about business and entrepreneurship and personal growth and development because you can't grow your business if you don't personally grow and develop yourself. And that's, in a nutshell, where I'm at, how I'm showing up in the world. Uh, I live in Atlanta, Georgia now. I've got a wife and three little ones who are in the other room doing unspeakable things <laughs> very loudly. <laughs> but uh, that's, that's the life we're living and that's, that's where we're at right now. So. I love that. I love that. I've seen pictures of your wife for sure. She's super beautiful. But I think I've seen pictures of your kids. Did you post them? Yeah, I do. I post them. Yeah, I do. I post them every so often. <clears throat> I try not to put them out there too much, you know, because kids don't yeah. kids don't really have the permission to have their entire childhood, you know, as a backdrop for their parents' life. So I, I kind of this year I didn't post their birthdays. Um, you know, the birthday parties and things like that. We, I, we took pictures and stuff like that, but I didn't I didn't post them. But I try to every so often because there are family and friends that are on Facebook and, you know, they, you know, the kids grow. And so you don't want them to just all of a sudden realize, oh, what happened to those babies you had? Oh, they're, they're 19 and 20 and 21. So. <laughs> right. grown people. Yeah. yeah. I think it's super important about what you said. Like, um, first of all, I love seeing them. I'm, I'm going to be very honest. So I will never have kids. Mm. I, I just made this decision uh, many years ago. It's almost 10 years now. But I also, I'm very happy with this decision. Like as soon as I made a decision, it was like finally getting rid of those chains. But I'm not saying kids are chains. Mm. I'm just saying for me that decision was kind of a, and it had different backgrounds, but nonetheless, I just like seeing kids with other people. <laughs> not very much around me. Oh, hey, hey. See, now I get to see one. Hi. Hey, hi. How's it going? Hey, hi. Well, now you're going to be shy. Oh, wait, I gonna hide as well. <laughs> See, she's shy too. This is my youngest, Alea, and she's the bossiest. All right, you gonna go get a snack? With, go get a snack with Nev and Sire. Say, Nev, Daddy said give us a snack, okay? And close the door for me. Thank you. And bring a snack for me, please, too. Yeah, bring, bring a snack for Monique? Okay, all right. <laughs> I prefer actually if we if we call girls not bossy, but um, they know what they want. Oh, that's yeah, that that's a great way of describing her. She is right because I've been one of those. <laughs> I know what you want. You know, it's funny. The more I get to know you, I would say that my 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 youngest is a lot like you. She is just unapologetic. I want this. And she's sweet. She's very sweet. <clears throat> She'll ask what she wants. Hey, I want some water. I want some water. And then about the third or fourth time, if you're not responding, she's turning up the volume. Water! You know, and she's, but <clears throat> she, she, she came into the, the family. She had to make her place. And she, this is where, I, this is her space. She has carved out a space and she is very comfortable in it. 
And she, you know, she's the one that Dan, when she came in here, I muted my, my microphone, but she came in here and she was saying, yeah. daddy, we have to go. Come, come on, come on. We, we have, to. she doesn't care that I'm on a call. She came in here to get me. <laughs> and so she's ready. Well, she's also kind of right because, uh, I talked very long, so we're supposed to already be done with that. So she probably knows. Yes. You can blame me for yeah. it. It's okay. It's all right. <laughs> <laughs> I love it because, you know, I was always told like, oh, you're too, and then add anything, you know, too loud, too swirly, too chumping around, too much, too in your face, too honest, too definitely too bossy. Mm -hmm. And then over time, I was thinking about that. I'm like, what does it even mean to whatever, too much, to whatever? And, and I thought, like, they just could never handle my intensity. I'm just an intense person. I speak pretty loud when you're in front of me, which has neurodiverse backgrounds, but no one knows. So I had so many friends, they're like, Monique, you're screaming. Can you turn it down? And I'm like, no, you know, <laughs> this is just my voice. Yeah, it's, and, and it's okay to be, well, I want to ask you, I mean, I don't know, you're supposed to be interviewing me, but I'm going to turn it around. What was it that, yeah. what was it that clicked for you that said it was okay for you to be who you were? Well, I'm going to be really honest because I always am. <laughs> on my own podcast. Um, I'm still on the journey to have a few things that I need to be okay with, with myself. And I'm only saying this because, and we talked a little bit before. So these posts that you've seen today, for example, mm -hmm. I'm not okay putting them out all the time because I personally cannot always handle the backlash. Mm -hmm. And that's just the honest mm -hmm. truth. And it's not because I care about what other people say but I care about what I think about myself. Right. And so I told you the reason why I don't watch TV and all of these shows and whatever is because they are brainwashing me, but it's the same with other people's everything out there, you know? So I'm trying my hardest to literally filter a lot in my social media, mm -hmm. whom I have mm -hmm. on there. I have people that I love, but if they get too much into my nerves with their aggressive way of posting i'm just gonna yeah. send them on a 30-day vacation <laughs> that luckily facebook is giving us you know like what is it silent them for 30 days yeah. whatever or snooze them yeah, you know so i snooze them for 30 days and then later i can decide okay am i now willing to look at it or whatever and sometimes i just unfriend them if they say plain bullshit mm -hmm. you know but the thing is this right now i'm on this way of accepting and actually loving all of who i am and and this too much too not enough whatever but i'm also needing to learn to accept that other people won't walk all the way with right. me right. and and it's very interesting because it's not that i had before the thought or the mindset of oh people will always love you that's not like a lot of people try to tell me oh but not everyone can love you i'm like i fucking know that's not even the yeah. point i have barely like i can tell you i have like a handful of people mm -hmm. that i would consider my friends mm -hmm. and 
two of them, I pay them to be my friends. Basically, they're my coaches and <laughs> I'm not the truth. So, <laughs> and it's very, do you know the, the Gallup Clifton strength test? I've heard of it. Yes. Yeah. It's something like Colby A and whatever. Right. right? And the Clifton strengths is basically you have to choose between two scenarios and sometimes they give you two very similar ones and you have to choose the one that applies more. And then they give you a set of 34 strengths characteristics. And I tell you what, number 32 for me is relationship building. Mm. And it's the truth. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm not great at it. I want to say I'm really sucking at it because I'm like, I do my best, but I care too much. I care too much about why this person is not replying now. And, you know, and that gets in the way of this relationship building because I have so high standards and high expectations. And then I get like setback from. So this is intriguing to me. Why? What is the story that goes through your head when somebody doesn't reply or, or they give, there's this thing, what happens in your head? What are you thinking? Oh, I can tell you exactly. I have the whole, everything lined out for you. It's that I'm a burden, that I'm a burden to them, that I, that they actually, they are just nice to me for whatever reason, but I don't bring any value to them as a person, Mm -hmm. which is also why I over deliver in everything. Mm -hmm. And when I go and see friends, I usually buy things to bring something for them. Like it's so stupid as if I'm not good enough, Mm -hmm. you know, like, but Sometimes I just bring food or bring these, bring that to make myself more valuable. And um, it started literally with my first memory in my life when I was three, which is why I just told you I prefer if we don't call it bossy because it's shit that I heard for all my life. And I had in my close family a lot of emotional abuse. I mean, bossy, I wouldn't call it emotional abuse, but I was very... Very, very much. When I was a little girl, I remember my fifth birthday as was it yesterday. Mm-hmm. I had my one pair of grandparents who unfortunately, rest in peace, are dead for a very long time mm-hmm. already. And they were supportive and, you know, cheering me on and be like, you can do whatever you want in your life and you be whoever you want to be. And they would let me live and, and be and breathe and they would never tone me down. And then the other pair of grandparents, complete opposite. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's so much that I don't want to even go into it now, but the the end of the story was always, I'm a burden to the whole family. Also with my chronic illnesses, you know, like I'm just wanting attention. I pretend I'm actually sick. I'm not really sick. All of the, although I was dying all the time, kind of, you know, like kidney failure and deeds and that. You had real things going on. Yeah, but but I really just wanted attention, and you know, I'm I'm a real burden. If I only wasn't there, the whole family would be better off, and things like this, you know. But they were really smart in how they would do that, so that people around me couldn't hear it, like gaslighting type of yeah. shit, you know. Mm-hmm. And then make me second guess, like, wait, maybe it would be better if I wasn't here, because wow. uh, it is really. It is a lot to do with me being kidney sick and having this nervous system thing that takes me out five times a week. Wow. I can see how my parents have to 
fight all the time and all this money always coming from work, mm -hmm. picking me up. I can see how I'm a burden to them. Yeah. Do you think they said that? You know, mm -hmm. like they, my parents never gave me the feeling or said mm -hmm. that, but because my grandparents did and sometimes my aunt, my uncle a little bit, you know, like they would always come in from the site mm -hmm. and support this and like, you're not thankful enough. Wow. Oh, wow. yeah. So, you know, it's like, mm -hmm. so now I'm really like language has become like a game for me. Like, okay, I'm not going to tell anyone they're bossy mm -hmm. because like, what does bossy even mean? Like to me, bossy means that you are making people do things that you could make yourself out of convenience mm -hmm. and not paying them, for example, or whatever. Like you be, you're an asshole. That's what being bossy mm -hmm. is. I doubt that your youngest is an asshole, you know? So I believe she just really knows what she wants and she comes and gets it. Yes. She's, she's a leader. She's in charge. She's in charge of herself. And she doesn't see why she, yep. you know, she, she doesn't see why you will want to do something different. And, and I'll be honest with you, in a lot of ways, she is, she's right. She's like, Daddy, you're not paying enough attention. You're not, you're, you're preoccupied right now. You need to focus, you know. And so I've learned to listen to my kids in that way. Because my conversations that I have, especially being the father of two young girls, my son is in the middle. He's four, my baby girl is two, and my oldest is eight. And so I've learned to parent through their eyes in a way. I kind of remember what it was like to be a kid at their, at their age. So I kind of go back, but I've never been a girl. And so now kind of trying to project forward and say, well, how do I want them to be looking back at their childhood and say that it shaped it, right? What, what did their daddy do to allow them to be confident and strong and powerful in their own skin in that way while still being firm while still being a parent you know making sure that they're safe but empowering them in their own space to be able to say this is my voice this is what i want you know and so it's it's a challenge and when i hear, hear conversations with with wonderful amazing people like yourself amazing women and and the struggles that they still go through i coach a lot of women interesting lot more of my clients are women than men and they all kind of still have this little voice that is tweaking them, you know, that is kind of at some level making them second guess themselves. And um, we had a, um, in our coaching session this week, a mastermind this week, we were talking about the fact that one of the, one of the young ladies, she, um, in work, she was still putting everyone else ahead of herself. And we see that a lot with, women you know men are much more we're much more compartmentalized so when, when we're at work we're about the job and the job has to get done women are much more open and giving and nurturing in general you know i don't want to i don't want to stereotype it but this is my experience in the in the clients that i've coached they they feel guilty putting themselves first acknowledging what their own needs are and and taking care of those needs and it's unfortunate because it doesn't allow them to be as powerful and they end up breaking down in some way. They get exhausted. They get tired. Emotionally, they are compromised. And so now women tend to have a much better support system for this 
men experience a lot of these things, but we they don't have the support system um, and they don't are expressive enough. So we internalize it. So that stress, you know, hurts us in, inwardly. But women take that damage as well. And then, but they, but they're, they're more abusive almost to themselves in the name of serving other people, the name of being caring and caring what other people think or caring about other people to the, to their own detriment. And so that's, that's just a challenge that I try to help people navigate through. And so even as a parent, I am trying to figure how can I not, you know, burden my children you know, put that on their back. So there's not something that they're dealing mm. with because there are a lot of different ways that, that, you know, we were talking earlier before we got on about television and how we're programmed to think about different things. There's a lot of programming that's out there in society that will already tell you that you have to put other people first. You got to worry about what society thinks and these types of things and how you behave. And yeah, we, we want to raise good citizens, but good citizens are people that are considerate and kind and loving. And it's a lot easier to be those ways when your own needs are being taken care of, when you're being kind to yourself, when you're being considerate of your own needs, when you're listening to your body and recognizing I'm tired now, I'm hungry, I need to eat, I need to eat better. I need to be nurturing my mind and my own spirit and things like that. So. Yeah, hundred percent. And there is, um, I'm trying to remember her name but apparently I'm also not so good with names. There is a video that I posted a while back from one of the women who uh, was an actress in the Sex and the City for Always with the short hair. Oh, yes. I'm not going to admit that I watched Sex and the City. (laughs) (laughs) I think that was the last one, the the last thing that I watched before I stopped watching TV. (laughs) And so she, she had this video and... I think it's called to lady ladylike or to be a lady or whatever. I can send it to you lady uh, later, lady, lady later. <laughs> because the thing is, she is obviously not a lot of these things in our minds as well from the Sex and the City series. But also I think not in her in her own life because I believe she's lesbian and um, she portrays like different things. So the way that she just sits there very calmly and and like it's like it's kind of like spoken art, a spoken word art basically performance and she speaks this. It's just incredibly and every time I have to I cannot watch it every day, but every time I do watch it, it brings back a lot of these moments and I can I can tell you exactly who was there, what they said, what it smelled like because and I believe it was every woman. We heard all of these things, you know, and I send it to you because it's a, it's a very powerful uh, video. And I believe it's the same for men though, but they hear a, a lot of different things. They hear like, don't cry, don't be a sissy, don't be these, don't be that, you know, like, don't be like a girl. And I'm like, what does it even mean? Don't be like a girl. Like that, that sounds to me like we are really shit and don't be like this shitty other whatever half s gender like god forgot something about them or something right, like this you know right. mm-hmm. it this is this is like it sounds like that sounds to me like don't be like this other non-perfect gender that got messed up or something wow. like that yeah. 
And I'm like, this is just crazy how this works out both ways, mm -hmm. right? And then we have a world that looks like this today and we're looking at each other and we're like, well, why are men doing specific things? Why are women doing specific things? I'm like, why do you even ask? <laughs> it's like, it's clear to me that if society keeps telling us to not be ourselves, not like just be anything but yourself, it then obviously everything that we going to turn in is everything but ourselves. And because we're trying to suppress who we really are, we're just turning into some dickhead. So here, here's what is, what's interesting. When I wrote my book, right, I didn't, through the process of, of writing the book, I discovered that one of the greatest things that we are not taught is who or how to be ourselves, right? We are, we are constantly told what not to be, right? As if not being that will allow you to be yourself. So don't be like a girl that makes you a boy. Don't be such a tomboy that makes you a girl, right? All these other outward attributes of what it means to be who you are. And what it really means is society is saying, we want you to be, be a way that makes us comfortable with how we see you, right? We want to put you in this box. We want to put you in this lane. That makes us comfortable, right? But this is not, we're not driving down the street. There's not puzzle pieces where you're putting together this perfect picture of a society. In, in reality, what we're doing is we're actually putting pieces, if you want to compare people to puzzle pieces, we're putting them in the wrong places. And that's why the picture's messed up. Because the picture is not about how you look on the outside, it's who you are on the inside. And nobody is taught how to discover that. So when you discover what your true identity is, right? And so many, so many of the things that we think make up who we are are not. They're how we show up in the world, but the way that we show up is based on how other people or how we've been programmed to think that we're supposed to, not what really makes us us, right? So. And I was thinking about when I was coming on your show, I said, you know, your, your show is called Efficiency on Demand. There was nothing more efficient, nothing more productive in the world than being yourself, who you truly are. When you show up as who you are really meant to be in your superpower, in your gift, there is nothing more efficient than that, right? And the reason why we get so out of balance, out of whack, why we have so much difficulty navigating through trauma and the whole world is because most of the time in our minds we're just trying to figure out who we're supposed to be how how other people want us to act in that moment right so now in the middle of covid or whatever you have people wearing masks and the whole debate is about wearing a mask or not wearing a mask it's an outward symbol for how you're supposed to show up are you considerate of other people are you a rebel or you and you're not being free they're conflicting ideas and neither of them is really wrong but what is what is oppressive is the idea that we have to mandate society has to mandate other people to do things that they should be able to do themselves we should all be considerate of each other right i'm a person i'm aware of masks because i want to protect my family and myself because i have other responsibilities and i want to protect other people i don't 
But I, I don't, I don't want to say that I look down on other people because they're not wearing a mask. That's just our representation of their thought process, right? So now we have that. But society does that to us all the time. Society is constantly telling us, you shouldn't be this, you should be that, you should do it like this. And we've, we've kind of blueprinted out people's lives based on this preconceived idea. And then what happens is you get to 25, 30, 40, 50 years old and realize, wait a minute, crap. None of this stuff is working, right? Yep. So it's super interesting. I listened to to this episode today from oh wow names Aubrey Marcus. Yeah. With do you know Peter Crown? I've heard of him. So he was in a podcast, and I think they're good friends. And and what it sounded like, they're working together as well. Okay. And Peter Crown is described as one of the most transformational, I don't want to say guru because he's not a guru, like the most transformational person to work with like athletes and and individuals, whatever, on a mix of spirituality, mindset, and those limiting belief kind of Mm -hmm. things that, that are just holding you back. And... I think you want to listen to this interview. It's amazing. Mm. The way he walked through, he's talking about the ego, those limiting beliefs, where they come from, whatever. But he's talking about why people keep holding on to Mm -hmm. them. Like why the hell everyone loves, apparently loves to hold on to their fears Mm -hmm. and to these beliefs. Like, for example, with me, that would be, you know, I'm pretty afraid of which is why some like we're talking about these posts and why I don't post these more often because I I'm a super kind person kindness just I don't know I must have swallowed it when I came out I don't know I have a lot of kindness but then sometimes I just have to say things they they can't be said nice and kind not nice but not kind like and I don't want to have to deal with the backlash, basically. So sometimes I just swallow it and then suddenly like, boom, sorry, here we are. And so I feel like that I'm still suppressing like this part of me that just wants to speak this truth all the time and not caring about what other people Mm -hmm. say. And to basically walk through that, he said like, it's more comforting and easier for people to keep holding on to these beliefs because you know basically what happens when you hold on to it. It's like there's a lot of things like I listen to like three different books right now. So they all kind of go in together. Mm-hmm. But it's also a way of trauma addiction. It's a, it's a reason why. And I have heard this so many times. Why didn't you leave this relationship? Why didn't you get away from this person who did X, Y, Z? And I'm like, well, why do you ask me? Like, I can't give you the fucking answer otherwise i would have left you know what i mean like this is such a weird thing and people don't understand it if you have never been in a truly emotionally and or physically abusive relationship you don't know you just don't know you don't know that you basically you cannot get away until you get away and oftentimes that is sparked uh from from the outside right and so this is so interesting because we're, I heard about this woman 
who was addicted to this trauma and and she was trafficked into prostitution but she would go back she was even in prison i think 16 times for prostitution in the us mm-hmm. and every time she would come out she would then go back to her pimp mm-hmm. because that trauma was safer in her head than breaking out of it and the consequences to go through this whole right. cycle of breaking out right. of it. It's very interesting. And I've seen a lot of this myself in my own life and from abuse and from whatever um, was going on. And so I think, you know, when we talk about these things like, um, what's going on right now and and people being at home and holding on to these beliefs or all of these challenges that people have i think sometimes they don't even see what's going on there in the back you know like it runs so deep that you do these things without knowing like say for example you walk outside of your house and go Every single time, the same route to walk to your car, mm-hmm. you take the, the key out of your pocket at the same time and open the mm-hmm. car. It's just a learned thing, mm-hmm. right? But to change that, you would first need to understand that you do it exactly that right. way. And that can only happen if someone points right. it out. Right. It's very true. It's, so much of our lives are, are defined by identity. And so much of our identity is formed before we have, we're cognizant of it, right? So to take your example of walking to the car, it's a habit. You just done it. You don't realize though that it's a series of smaller habits, right? You pick up, you put your keys in your pocket. Like it may have been intentional before when you first started, but it's a series of putting your keys in one pocket. You're getting your purse, getting your wallet. If you've got something in your hand, the way that you park your car, the relation to the time of day. So if, if the sun is always out, then you have a habit of putting on your sunglasses before you get in the car or maybe afterwards. It's all these different micro things, right? And so it's similar to how our identity is shaped as well. You were talking about how your grandparents talked about you, right? And the things they said. It's all these little hints that are dropped. And so you, you have all of these little pieces of you that are that are plugged into place in terms of your identity and so it makes up the picture so you you, you mentioned the young lady who was in prostitution right she's in sex trafficking she's got a pimp but her identity has become tied up in this and there is a safety that we have in knowing i belong somewhere even if this mm-hmm. environment is toxic if it's hellish but this is who i am right and the only way that you can really escape that is to be able to step into a new identity. Now, and that process in and of itself is traumatic. What people don't talk about the fact is that trauma is a part of life. Birth is traumatic, right? It is a violent act. It's violent for the mother. (laughs) I'm I'm laughing at your face because I know that you determined not to have kids. (laughs) Like, I'm never gonna have that trauma. But it's traumatic for... For real. <laughs> it's traumatic. Yeah. And I've, I've been there in, in, the, in, the, in the birth room for all three of the births of my children. And so I know what my wife experienced. And so it's a, it's a powerful thing that somebody would willingly go through a trauma like that. But the idea is that they're willing to go through it. Mothers are willing to go through it because they know that what they're going to bring or birth through that 
is the life of another child is something that's going to be transformational. And so they're willing to go through that process. And there has to be this whole bonding with what will be, the baby, the infant, the bonding of what will be in order to go through that process and then to, to bring that child to the world. And so there's, there's, there's similar parallels in, in, in birthing your new identity, right? You have to understand that it is inside you already and it's capable to come out. That what you're going through now is temporary, but change in and of itself is traumatic. You are, you are going from one form to another. You're going from one identity, you're letting go of that. And if you've always known that to be who you were, it's very difficult to let go of that and to latch onto something else. You're literally like hanging on to the edge of one skyscraper that is about to crumble and trying to let go and leap to another one. But you, the safety has been in holding on to where you are, right? And so to make that leap, you have to be able to risk falling down into the depths of the unknown and to grab onto something else that you don't know can be safe as well. And so when we are, when we are going through that process, it's great to have somebody to walk alongside that with you, right? So many of the struggles that entrepreneurs and leaders go through, when, we, when you see the downfall of a company or the downfall of a, a prominent person, it's because there's this identity that's crumbling somewhere, right? And they, 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 you cannot exist in two different identities. You got to be one person or another. And so letting go of that is a challenge. And if you don't have somebody to kind of help you walk through that, and like you said, to make you aware of how you have built this identity and how you are, have, have, have come accustomed to showing up in the world, then you don't know how to do that on your own. And so you need to have somebody that, that can give you a model, that can reassure you that it's okay. Almost like that person on the other skyscraper is saying, just reach out and grab a hold of my hand. It's going to be okay, you know? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's really interesting because uh, I feel like a lot of us going through many transitions in life, but we never realize how that could be how that could be traumatic or, you know, like really impactful. We just think that's what it's going to be like, you know, like we grow up, then we're 10, we're going to school and everyone is bashing us and we have to find a way out, something like this, you know. But um, Peter Crone also said like that the best, the best that you can do is detach yourself from this identity or ego, how he calls it as well, and be able to re- identify yourself every single day again to be able to let go of the image of who you were today in order to create something new tomorrow because and I found this really interesting because I make very similar comparison but he said like for example a lot of people say I am Christian or insert any other religion right and he said like but if you like you could say you believe in the in the faith of christianity but people who identify themselves to be that person a christian and then whatever they identify themselves with they make it really hard for themselves to get out of certain as we would say boxes or identity casts maybe even and i think that's one of the things that we are so why it's also so 
yeah, so cruel at times because we attach ourselves to this, like, this is who I am, but that's not really who you are. It's just a part of what you, you know, believe in or, or what your world is made up, mm -hmm. you know, and to change that brings so much also, as you said, the reflection of the outer world, right? When I, when I, I was actually <laughs> very interesting. I was born into Christianity somehow And I was super excited as a kid, you know, like, oh, look at this super cute Bible. They have animals in there, whatever. Mm -hmm. And so I I got baptized. I got uh, through this whole process of, I see, I forgot even what it's called. <laughs> um, but I got introduced and I was, until I think I was 18 years old. And then I realized what is actually going on in the background. And I'm not going to dive into that, but... What what was it like going on? I was like, huh, no, that doesn't sound like what I learned about that. I'm I'm not gonna believe in that anymore. And I literally just wrote it off. Well, when I told my parents and my sister, they were looking at me. I mean, my dad was not, he's atheist, but my mom very much and my sister very much, they're Christians or believe in the faith. And so they were looking at me and they're like, You can't just leave the church. I'm like, Well, yeah, it was just a box to check at the tax file <laughs> paper at work. So I left and they're like, you know, for them, it was like this huge thing. And for me, it was just a check box, box on the tax file paper, literally. So I think that's a big thing when we attach ourselves to these ideas, you know. I think that that is extremely powerful because... And so I, I still am a believer in the Christian faith, but I also have had my journey walking through because there are so many different things that Christians and people in general, we say we profess certain things or believe certain things, or this is what it means to be this thing. And then as you get older, you realize these things are not what people say they are. I was listening to a podcast of Stuart Stevens, who was the campaign manager for Mitt Romney. He left the Republican Party and he wrote a book called It Was All a Lie or It's All Lies. I forget the exact name. But in his essence, he was saying that he had grown up working in this party for his entire life. And he had to come to the point where he admitted these people don't really believe the things that they say they believe. Right. It's a convenient box to check. I hate to offend anybody who's a Republican, but I mean, that's. It's more an illustration of the fact that there are people, it's, it's happening on the democratic side too. It's happening in religion. It's happening in countries where nationalism, what, what it means to be South Korean or German or Italian or American or whatever. What does that mean? Because these are all stories, right? They're fables. It doesn't, it may have been based on truth. There is some truth to them. But the truth that, re that really exists inside those stories is the truth that we bring to it. If we say this is who we are and then we act according to this way, if we act, quote unquote, American, if we act, quote unquote, Christian, if we act, quote unquote, Republican, right? It's about these behaviors that are supposed to signify these beliefs and these principles on which we stand. But most people don't build their lives based on principle. They build them based on labels. They build them based on um, behaviors. And so behaviors are not the same as belief. There's a difference between believing something and knowing something. 
And believing something is theoretical, right? But knowing something is based on experience. And when you know it, you can't always prove it. You just know it and that's who you are. And when you no longer know that anymore, right? When you no longer experience that thing, then it is no longer true to you. And so you, it's easy to uncheck that box. When you uncheck the, the box of being Christian, for you, it was, I no longer know this as a, an, an experience. I don't experience this as a true thing in my life. So you had already left. Checking the box, like you said, was easy because you had. Now, if it's a belief, that's different. Because that belief is something that identifies you. A lot of people have their identity based on their beliefs or their labels or their behaviors, right? So if I don't act this way anymore, if I don't call myself this anymore, now I don't know who I am. And so even people who call themselves entrepreneurs, well, I'm an entrepreneur, right? So if your business fails, you're no longer an entrepreneur. An entrepreneur is a mindset. It's simply someone who says, I solve problems. I look, I listen to people. I realize they have a problem and I'm the type of person that can create a solution. And I talk about this a lot, you know, in my posts, like, you know, people say, well, I say anyone can be an entrepreneur. Anyone can build a business. And I have friends who vehemently deny it. They say, everybody can't do this. You know, and some people say, I don't want to. It's like, it's not about want to. Anyone can, most people won't. And that's the difference. The difference is not about, it's not about ability. We all have the capacity to create, right? Creativity is not a label. That's what we've made people. We've said certain people are creatives. Certain people are intellectuals. So everybody can think, right? Everybody can, can create. But if you've been told for your entire life that you can't, then you, then you won't. You won't even attempt to. I talk... I, I talk about this in the book, and there's a study in 1963 that George Land did. NASA hired George Land to study creativity. And George Land had been studying it in children for a while. And so what they wanted him to do was to create a test to be able to study the most creative scientists so they could build the space program. Because you need the most creative people to build something that's never been built before, Right. When I say creative, I mean people who think the most creatively or who allow themselves the freedom mm -hmm. to think creatively. Why do I say that? Because we, what George Land realized, he studied children from the time they were around two years old all the way to when they were adults. And what he found was that when he first started studying children, they would test out at 97, 98% genius capacity in terms of their creativity. And gradually over time, that would, he would go back and test them every so often, every few years. And he would find that the creativity level that they tested at gradually diminished. So by the time that they were young adults, they were testing out at about two or 3% creativity level, genius level creativity, which means that society beats the creativity out of us. They tell us over and over again, oh, you're creative. So if you're a singer or an artist and you're really good, you're creative. But that is also judged on an external um, metric, right? So if we say you're good, then you deserve to be labeled as a creative. Other than that, the rest of us, you know, but we all have creativity. That's, that's all we are. We're bringing things forth into the world. And so if, that, if you don't have that part of your identity, if you, if you don't know that you can, one, create things out of thin air, but two, create a new identity for yourself, based on your own experiences, 
based on your own genius, based on your own passions and your purpose, then you're going to struggle. You're going to have, you're going to, you're going to face that trauma one day, because we all do, that trauma of realizing, hey, maybe the things that I was taught aren't true. And it's very difficult for a lot of people to let go of that. Yeah, absolutely. I know you have to go real soon, but I want to ask a question because I know something about you that maybe people out there don't know so much. Mm -hmm. And it kind of relates to this question. So I know you've been in a boy mm -hmm. band. Yes. And so I want to know how have you been dealing with the identity shift of being in a boy band, having your passion and your creativity, use that like all day, every mm -hmm. day. And then certainly not being a boy band and then having to redefine who you are after that. It was a process. Uh, it was gradual. So I grew up, you know, it's interesting. I, I joined the group. It was a bunch of my friends, uh, but it was several of my best friends who were in the group. And we started singing together when we were about 15 or 16 years old. And that lasted for the next 18 years or so. We sung in this group, we wrote songs, we toured around the country, we were on national television, we pursued record deals. And I was convinced that I was gonna be an artist in that capacity for the rest of my life. I didn't, that's all I wanted to do was write music. So I ate, slate, ate, slept, and drank music, period. So I was obsessed with it. And so I was convinced that I was gonna master that that skill, that art. And what happened was, as that dream began to die, I had to, I had to hit a, an inflection point where I had to decide, you know, there, there are no 35-year-old boy bands anymore, right? I've got to make that transition, which a lot of artists do. So, but I was always the songwriter, the main songwriter in the group. So writing songs was something that I was passionate about. So I transitioned from being a songwriter um, from, from writing in the group to being a singer, songwriter, producer. And so writing songs for other people. That process led me to actually moving from the creative side, quote unquote, to the business side, where I started managing artists and working with them. And then I went from management because management involves so much about promoting an artist and marketing and all that stuff. So become, to moving to PR and celebrity publicist and and working there, then I, I became a partner in a PR firm for a while. And then I left the PR firm. And that's when it really hit. Because then once I was outside of that construct, I had to build something for myself. I, want, I knew I didn't want to be in PR. I wanted to be in marketing, branding, that type of thing. I was more passionate about storytelling. But even still, I wasn't passionate about working for clients who didn't know what the heck they were doing. you know. And I realized that I started having to marry all my greatest skill set, which was helping people understand their own talents and their own gifts and what was inherent about their business or whatever it was. I had been coaching people probably my entire life. I, I mentored kids from the time that I was a teenager working as a summer camp counselor. And I had been doing that when I was dealing with artists, when you're in a studio with them and you're producing them. A lot of it is really just coaching. You're having to help them tell their story, help them to show up in the best way possible. As a manager, you're coaching them, like why they need to do this, how this is going to help them to grow as a person, as an artist. 
PR, you're coaching your clients. And I would do more coaching than actually the work. And so that transition took place over a period of time. But the, the key for me really was probably even maybe just about a year ago, even though I've been coaching for several years, really allowing myself to say I am a coach and it's okay. That the label, the word coach, doesn't mean any, it's a way of letting other people know how I show up. But really what I'm doing mm-hmm. is I'm leading, leading people. I'm empowering them to be their best self. I'm a translator. I'm helping them to see how their story really matters and, and what is inside of them that is capable of creating something so, so powerful, so awesome, so necessary for the world that they can do that. And that's why, why when I was able to give myself the freedom to say that I'm a coach, it really let me open up and really start being more transformative even than what I was able to do for people and through people and what people could do through me. I could be a portal through which people can step and realize their greatest self, right? So I'm doing that for, for them because I was able to do it for myself, right? And so it wasn't, it wasn't easy. It, it, it took a while because there was so much confusion. Writing the book helped me to kind of understand how to navigate that, realize I have a gift, that everyone has a gift, and that they can do it. But, you know, abandoning this idea of being a, a boy band in a, in a boy band and being a heartthrob or whatever it was, I was never the heartthrob, but this, that whole identity, yeah, it, it, was, it was difficult because I, I knew this whole life that I wanted, this whole lifestyle that I wanted. And honestly, a lot of my, even my, my money mindset, my limiting beliefs around money, I believed that I could only make money or be wealthy if I was in a boy band and was making a lot of money as a rock star almost, you know. And once I began to realize that you can create wealth in so many different types of ways, right? And that wealth means a lot of different types of things. But even monetarily, Mm -hmm. that when you step into your zone of genius, you have a much greater capacity to create that wealth than you do when you're just banging your head against some other industry or whatever, waiting for permission from someone else to let you be great. And you don't need that. So when I was able to understand that, then it opened up a whole new world for me. Yeah, wow. I love that. It's definitely a huge transition. And it was a similar one, although very much earlier for me when I went from semi-professional ballerina to nothing, (laughs) just a high school girl, Mm. basically. But it definitely took way longer for me to understand I'm never going to be a ballerina again. Because mm. I always had in mind, oh, I'm just going to heal the injury. I'm just going to, I'm just going to do that one more thing. And then I can go back on stage. Mm-hmm. And, and then here I am, I'm 33 and I'm still <laughs> 20 years later, not back on stage. So I guess <laughs> that was it for now. But I, I bought a course for dancing ballet at home and I did it since I bought it (laughs) I have to laugh about myself since I bought it in January I danced three times at home (laughs) yeah with the course because I think like I it's just so hard for me to go back to the same thing when I'm not the same person yeah no it's kind of you know it's like for me Ballet has been my whole, it's been my identity. It's been my whole life, my my soul, my heart, like everything. It saved my life in so many ways. Mm-hmm. So to to go back and practice ballet in the form that I did without meaning it, 
in the form that I did. Like just just for fun. I I always think like people don't dance, play for fun. You're gonna ruin your fucking feet. You're gonna look like I don't know. There's so many things and it's so interesting. <laughs> I had to really get rid of this idea. Oh, okay, people actually do dance ballet for fun, I guess, now. So, no. but I still can't get along with that thought for myself. I'm just, I dance at home, but not to this course or like doing all of these exercises, whatever. I just dance as I just dance. No, I, I can identify with that because... So I still write songs. I, I, I frequently get, I probably get three or four ideas for a song a week and I'll still record them. You know, if I want to do something with them later on, I can. And sometimes people still reach out to me to write, but there's a difference now in how I view music. Music was necessary for me. And to be able to do the things like the ballet, I, I can see it the way you're talking about it. It was, it was, ne- there was, there was no choice. You had to do it. But then you had to have this transition period where you have to redefine who you are. And in that process, you have to let go of the necessity of it. It's almost like the passion doesn't necessarily die, but it gets, it gets displaced. Like I, I still, mm-hmm. yeah. I still, I was talking to my wife about this um, last week because I was talking to somebody else about it the week before. Just that people were asking me, do you still, you know, have you listened to this music? I don't listen to music the same anymore. I used to need to hear music. It was a drug. It was a high. And I, I had to create music that was this way. I was always, that was the way that I wanted to express myself in the world. And I, I just realized now that it's not as necessary for me to do that. That there are other ways for me to express myself. And I, I do that through my coaching through my leadership, through, uh, through my children, even, right? Through my marriage. But I don't have the same passion for music. It's more for the people, right? And it's, mm-hmm. and it's yeah. weird. It's weird because when you try and step back into that space, and I do miss it sometimes. I miss feeling that way about music. But I don't miss doing the music. And it's weird when you step back into that space and try to be that same person. And I think one of, the, one of the secrets about identity that we don't realize is that there are many different versions of ourselves that are still kind of inside of ourselves, but are not the main identity that we show up as. So when you have a memory of yourself as two and three years old, that's still you, but you don't wet the bed anymore. You don't like the food, same foods that you did when you were, you don't suck your thumb or whatever it was that you did when you were two or three years old. In your mind, the memories that you have are still you, but they're not really you anymore. They're just a version of you, you, of you that you used to be. And there are many different versions of us in life. What, ho- what holds us back is when we stay stuck in one particular version instead of realizing it's time for me to evolve to the next best version of myself. Mm-hmm. And yeah, so for you and I, as as a failed boy band stump member and a <laughs> and a and a now retired ballerina, you know, yeah, that ballerina is still inside <laughs> you. The boy band member is still inside of me. 
but there's also other versions of us that are evolving and willing to come out. And for the listeners of the podcast, yeah. you know, there are other versions of them that are ready to be birthed, you know, and if you're, if you're willing, you can, you can look back at the version of yourself now with fondness, but also with a sense of strangeness. Like it's weird trying to remember who I was back then when I was, now that I'm this bigger, more amazing version of who I could always have been, but I, I just had to give myself permission to become that, you know, I don't know. Yeah, I love that. Speaking about expressing yourself through your kids, I've held yourself back for so long. So let's wrap this yes. up. I have two speed questions and to finish that whole thing. So tell me what efficiency means for you. Oh man, efficiency just means walking in your gift. Like I said earlier, there's nothing more powerful than being who you were always meant to be, right? And yeah, amen. You know. <laughs> That's it, amen. <laughs> and the last one is, if you would have to, talking about identity shift, push the reset button, but you keep all of the knowledge, mm -hmm. which of the three things would you keep repeat doing to get back to success? So in my book, there are three laws of giftedness I talk about. And I would remember these three things. These three laws are super simple, super powerful for me. One is that everyone is created with a gift, a special and unique, powerful gift. Two is that every gift is created with a purpose, which means that you don't have to search for it. It already exists inside you. You discover your gift, you discover your purpose. And three, the most powerful, it's my favorite of the three laws, which is no gift can fail at the purpose for which it was created. Birds always fly, water always flows, wind always blows, the sun always rises. Your gift cannot fail. So if I was to remember those two things, it would be everyone has a gift, your gift has a purpose, and your purpose cannot fail. I love these. Oh, my God. Frederick, thank you so much uh, for being here, for, <laughs> for your daughter, for giving me so much time with you. And before we hop off, tell our listeners, please, where they can find you and what they can find you, what they can find there, and also share your book so they can get it. So the book is called Breaking Orbit, Rip Out of the Regular by Unearthing the Power Within. Uh, it's on Amazon, easy to find. If you want to go to my website, you can. It's, it's there as well, which is frederickbussey.com, F-R-E-D-R-I-C-K-B-U-S-S-E-Y.com. Mostly I hang out on, on Facebook Messenger. I communicate a heck of a lot there. So if you want to shoot me a message, you can if you're on Facebook or send me an email, uh, info at frederickbussey.com. And uh, I love to talk to people, love talking with entrepreneurs and helping people realize their untapped potential. Like we all have greatness inside us. And uh, it's my, my mission, my purpose in life just to help people realize how great they can really be. I love this. Breaking Orbit, please go check it out. We have all the links for you down below as usual. Don't forget to subscribe because there are so many amazing guests just like Frederick. And Frederick, thank you so much for being here, for taking all of the time. It's been two hours that I captivated him here. <laughs> <laughs> and um, please tell your daughter thank you for giving me so much time. I will, I will. Thank you so much for having me, Mondi. 
You've been listening to Efficiency On Demand. On Demand. We hope you've learned that you too can unlock your ultimate potential, how to control your time, create some clarity in your crazy life, and how to live life limitless. If you haven't already, make sure to subscribe to the podcast and please follow on Instagram at the Monique Lindner. We'll see you next time on Efficiency On Demand with Monique. Remember to slow down to speed up.